Welcome to Inside My Canoe Head, a podcast about self-reliance and building a more resilient lifestyle. Hang on and join us for your latest emergency preparedness information, building a better you in the face of life's disruptions, and all those other crazy stuff that's driving us nuts in today's world. I'm your host, Jeff. Let's get at it. Welcome back to the podcast. I appreciate you all taking time to join us here again. This week on Inside My Canoe Head, we're going to look at a summary. So we're going to call this the end of our Emergency Preparedness 2.0 series. We're going to sum up all of the things we kind of talked about throughout this series and give you that really quick, what do I need to know summary that some people prefer to the long drawn out Charlie Brown teacher type discussion into the intimate little details and fine, fair enough. We all like different things. So today we're going to talk about that. The first thing is everything about individual emergency preparedness is that most important question we must ask ourselves. Number one, who is responsible for your outcomes? And that's the first thing that you must ask yourself and reflect upon. Are you a victim in life? Does stuff happen to you? In other words, I'm this way because of something else. It's not my fault. Something was done to me. If you're that type of individual, you're going to find it exceptionally difficult to take on the responsibility for your own outcomes. And the point of that question is, in reality, society, both our community and our municipal and higher level organizations simply don't have the capability or the capacity to come rescue you immediately in the time of an emergency and why individual emergency or otherwise known as household emergency preparedness is built around that premise that you are going to have to be responsible for rescuing yourself and potentially your neighbors and taking care of yourself for at least a short period of time at the onset of a disruption or major emergency. So because of that, we always ask that question, Who is responsible for your outcomes? Now, when you really get down to basic, and I think the Gress guy on YouTube, if you're looking for a survivalist and a prepper, is a gentleman by the name of Joshua. He is an ex-U.S. Army Green Beret, an 18 Zulu. He is uh, running a channel called the Gray Bearded Green Beret. And, And listen, I don't get paid for it. I'm a subscriber to him. I think the guy's fantastic. He's released a short uh, about an hour an hour and 10 long minute movie on the modern bug out and what it really is going to be like and the type of equipment you need anyhow he's fantastic for it and i'll credit him with this it comes down to uh all emergencies are are based upon your survival all right you you want to make it through whatever the situation may be and for all human beings that downs to three basic things number one is thermal regulation of body core temperature that's basically keeping yourself alive in the elements And that comes with a layered system. That's your clothing. That's something to sleep on, something to sleep in, and something to sleep under. You'll have to adjust that to the situation you're in, the weather patterns you're in, and the area of the world, and what you might be exposed to. But that is the general sense of it. The next is going to be potable water. You need access to about two liters of potable water per person per day for basic bodily functions, hydration, and to avoid illnesses related to that. You have to find that somehow. You have to prepare for that. The next is going to be caloric intake. Now, there's a hot debate across a lot of nutritionists as to what kind of calories you should take in, the amount of calories, 
but for an active individual, which you are going to be in a survival situation, you're not going to be sedentary. Target yourself about maybe 2,000 calories a day is probably what you should go after. And that is what we basically think the three C's of survival. However, preparedness has two additional ones that we put on there. One is first aid, which means everything from your basic boo-boos to be able to stitch up a wound, to be able to do proper wound closure, uh, large major trauma incidents, potentially gunshot wounds or other piercing wounds from flying debris in a storm. You have the ability to clear and open an airway if necessary. So first aid is something that must be in your preparations. That is a twofold element. Number one, it is you having the skill sets. It's no good going to buy an adventure medical kit, these massive, wonderful things that they sell on the internet. Put it in your house if you have no first aid training. Uh, don't watch YouTube for first aid. Take a formal first aid course. Here in Canada, we have St. John Ambulance, the Canadian Red Cross, fantastic. Other organizations offer them. Take it, learn it, study it, pass it. Then acquire the equipment that meets with your training. No need adding tourniquets and various things like that to your first aid kit if you've never had training as to the application of a tourniquet. So that being said, the last one is security. And no, this is not about buying a whole bunch of firearms and 10,000 rounds of ammunition. It's about being able to secure yourself, your family, and your possessions in time of an emergency. And it basically comes from the inside out. It is basically situational awareness is the number one part of security. That means you need to know what's going on in the immediate vicinity of where you are and your family is. Then you need to be able to deal with that in a calm relaxed manner in other words big part of uh, security is your negotiation skills how do you deal with other human beings are you adversarial are you combative or are you an individual who can sit down and negotiate through whatever the problem or situation may be to avoid any type of conflict but in the rare but potential possibility that conflicts exist are you an individual who has the capability of defending yourself with your own hands feet that type of thing so it's always a good idea. You don't need a black belt in martial arts, but to take a little jujitsu, take a little training to understand basically how to defend yourself and get out. For me, uh, I've taken Taekwondo from some pretty incredible individuals. However, I think personally for the short term, the best thing that you could take is sign yourself up for a Krav Maga class. Because uh, the idea behind Krav Maga, which is the martial arts for the Israeli Defense Force, is winning and winning at all costs and exiting the situation. So if you have to go through another human being to get to where you need to be, you want to be able to do that in the least amount of time and danger possible while not necessarily permanently injuring the other individual. You just want to remove them from your path of travel. So those are your five elements of preparedness, your three basic survival, adding on first aid and security. But all of this is matter for naught if you don't have a plan. What is your plan? You have to have a plan created by you, for you, for the situation you're in, and based upon a set of problems that you have worked through. Now here on Inside My Canoe Head, we teach first timeline. Figure out the number of days for which you wish to be self-sufficient. That means you want to be able to perfectly supply and support all of your people that you love and are responsible for in your home, whatever that may be, for X number of days. Think ideologically. 
think what you would like to do. How long is that? That's the first timeline you have to come up with. Then you got to talk about vulnerabilities. What are my family's vulnerabilities? We live in a pandemic era. That's a vulnerability. You may have somebody within your household who is at a high risk to it and mobility will then be a problem. You could have somebody with mobility issues. You could have somebody that has uh, it, it, serious prescription medication. You could have somebody who has addictions. You could have somebody, there's a whole bunch of issues. You have people suffering from mental health illness that may have heightened anxiety in, in face of disruption. You may have individuals in your household who uh, have certain food allergies and can't eat this wonderful prepackaged food or whatever you may be considering. So you have to understand the vulnerabilities for your family. Then you have to understand the threats. And I don't mean the hordes of marauders that everybody talks about that in fact never really happen in any natural disaster. But setting that aside, we're talking about what are the possible threats based upon your area. And a threat assessment is done in detail in previous episodes, but essentially it's looking at your immediate household, what natural and man-made things could happen that would affect your ability to conduct your normal life and you look at all aspects of the world around you and how you're supported so we look at that from the primary point of power think about power outage if the power goes out for the number of days that you're planning what does that look like for you and for me it's my planning figure is 60 days some people is shorter i always recommend 14 days as a starting point you look at what is 14 days without power in my house in February in Canada's northerly capital look like. That's a lot different than what 14 days without power looks like on the southern coast of Vancouver Island. You have to be specific to where you are. A generic plan won't work. Then you have to look at the other elements of the critical infrastructure. The government of Canada classifies them into 10 sectors. One is energy and utilities. There are nine other. What does your world look like without access to the financial system? What does your world look like without access to the government? Are you an individual who lives paycheck to paycheck and that paycheck comes from the government in some form of direct deposit or check? What happens when that fails to show up? How do you deal with that? And those are parts of preparedness where you go into a little bit more detail and we say, listen, it is really irrelevant if you're going to go out and buy a whole bunch of crap that you find online and a whole bunch of these really cool Gucci emergency supplies that these so-called gurus on YouTube will tell you. Buy 10 of this. These are the 10 things you should prep with. The first 15 things you can buy. Everybody's got a bloody list out there. But if you don't have a plan, first and foremost, in advance of acquiring any equipment, then that equipment is not tied to a use for which you thought through. The other part that we're going to talk about is simplicity. Do not overcomplicate your situation, okay? Don't overthink it. Don't try to add too much to it. Don't try to make it incredibly difficult to manage. And the reason we say that is that some people start building a a myriad of contingencies into their emergency preparedness plan. And what they end up doing is they create so many con ops, as we call it, contingency operations, that you end up with this wildly difficult set of tasks to try to complete in a short order period of time, or that you would normally need, you know, a whole biker gang of people to hang out with you to get her done. So keep it simple. Keep things squarely on those five elements of preparedness including the three principles of survival there's no need to really deviate from that and to go and look 
at anything else. That's how you get that done. Now we look at what the case, the case scenarios that we looked at. We looked at the best case scenario, which is probably a significant time management problem and access to regular lifestyle stuff that you need. Grocery stores, doctors, pharmacists are just going to be exceptionally more difficult to do. It's not going to be canceled. It's still going to be available. It's just going to be exceptionally more difficult to do when you have influenza and COVID-19 during a winter, you're going to have a significant shortage of labor in the service industry, and therefore you're going to have exceptionally longer lineups to get things done. The grocery store is a today's activity, and that's going to encompass your day, not a normal hour. That's the type of thing that you're going to be looking at when in the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is, as it is in all parts of emergency preparedness, is that for whatever reason you are going to be required to evacuate your residence and to leave for whatever reason. It could be a wildfire. It could be uh, some type of breakdown in industry in your area. It could be an actual accident within the home. There could be a myriad of things, but this is what we look at as the worst case is always the least priority, the least, sorry, the least probability, but the highest effect on you and how you've done it. Because what most people do is they build an emergency preparedness plan and rightfully so for the inside of their house for staying with the people that they love in the house and carrying on with normal business. However, when that house no longer becomes available, that exceptionally complicates it, especially for some people who have gone to considerable lengths and they've put away six, nine, 12 months of food and water and all these supplies in their house and they have to leave their house on five minutes notice and they can't bring the vast majority of that with them. So with that, you need to make sure that you have some type of evacuation capability in your house. Now, a lot of people talk about the bug out bags. I always caution when people look at the bug out bags that you see on TV, because the majority of those are geared towards some type of survival. I'm going to put the kit in there that I need to go into the woods and survive versus an actual evacuation. Because in reality, in the modern society, when anybody evacuates, they're going to another town. They're going to move away from the threat, be it a wildfire, industrial accident, whatever it is. And they're going to go to another town and you're going to find either a friend's place or a Hilton or a Motel 6 or whatever it may be, and those axes and saws and various things like that are not going to function very well inside the hallway of a Motel 6. So you have to be real realistic about what you're actually putting in an evacuation kit. And the main things that we talk about are the stick to the five elements of survival. Like, let's not overcomplicate this. As I talked before about simplicity, let's just keep it simple, right? You want to be able to stay warm, so you want proper clothing. You want to be able to drink water. You want to be able to eat food. You want to be able to fix your boo-boos and do some that. And then you want to have security, which means you want to be able to make sure that your stuff stays your stuff and that you have a place. And for the most part, security will be taking care of you once you get that room in the Motel 6. So that being said, don't overcomplicate it. But there's a couple extra things when evacuation. Take your ID. Like everybody has a wallet, right? Well, I have a second wallet. And that second wallet sits down in my office. And inside that second wallet is all those things you don't normally care carry with you. Like your piece of paper that has your dental plan ID on it. And all this other stuff. Uh, you know, insurance stuff. All that. I mean, you just, you just keep that elsewhere. 
so I just keep that in one small box. I have a cigar box sitting on my desk, and that cigar box is my evacuation box. I grab that and go. I've got every single piece of ID, passports included, that I would ever need, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, the other thing that I say is welcome to the modern area that we should always have cloud access and battery power for your phone. Now, I have an anchor. I have two anchor battery packs. Uh, they're about 22,000, 20,000, 22,000 milliamp hours. It basically means that I, each one carries six charges for my iPhone. So that means when I exit the house uh, or, or for whatever reason, I have 12 charges of an iPhone. Uh, that's exceptional. I don't, I don't need a wall plug. I don't need a generator. I don't need a solar panel. I just carry around a batter, extra battery packs for the phone because that gives you cloud access. And if you're like me and you've jumped into the modern age and all of your personal documentation is in the cloud, well, as long as I have my battery pack and I'm in my evacuation site or whatever that may be or on my way, I'm going to have access to all of my documentation in the cloud. Remember, um, unless the cell towers are taken out, almost every one of them in North America carries about a 72-hour battery source. Some of the major, more principal ones are actually hooked up to generators that can last longer. But for the first 72 hours after a major incident, unless, again, the cell towers are taken down, you will have time to access the circuitry and download whatever you may need from the cloud onto your phone or access phone numbers or contacts, anything like that. It's just always good in the modern age. I'll tell you to take that battery pack long before I'll tell you to take a flashlight because there's a flashlight on your cell phone. And if you ask anybody nowadays, that's the flashlight they use. They don't go try to find their their big Duracell or anything along that line. So they, they just don't go and do that. This is the modern age. So this is about adjusting your, your preparedness information and your plan towards what would be a modern situation. Again, axes and saws have a place for a certain outcome that you may or may not have to plan for. But that being said, when we look at the generic government oversight plan, you want to think about where you're evacuating to. Now, if you're evacuating to a family cottage that is on a lake or up in the wilderness or up in the rural areas, etc., well, obviously then you're going to add some what we like to call bushcraft tools to it, right? That makes logical sense. But if you're going to Aunt Sally's townhouse three cities over about 150 kilometer, 100 mile drive, why do you need to bring your axe, your saw, your Coleman stove, and three containers of naphtha fuel. It doesn't make any logical sense. And you could be replacing that space with something that would be far more useful to you in that situation. So you've got to remember there's one other situation that can happen. And this is a very low probability, but you see it all over. That is an evacuation where you are dislodged from your primary place and are forced into... A, an emergency situation. Now, a lot of people love to talk about that as an idealistic thing. I'm an outdoorsman. I'm a bushcrafter. I've been at this 30 plus years. I give myself no better than 50% to last 30 days in the woods. And the reason being is, is nobody truly understands how exceptionally difficult it is to survive and thrive in a wilderness environment. I mean, if I'm carrying 60 days worth of food, who cares? I'll be happy for 60 days. But if I'm carrying two weeks of food and you expect me to last two months, then in my ability to procure food, it's there but it's not always like the movie. So it's, you got to be careful with that. So I call that rural sustainment. If you're looking at that and you have a bug out bag for that and your plan for that, all I'm going to offer you is this, try it out. 
if you have 72 hours worth of kit in a bag that you think you can throw in the car and survive on the way back, then fine, fair enough, try it out. And I'll give you an example. For two years, I lived two hours away from home for work Monday to Friday. I transited a very dangerous highway twice a week to and from every Sunday night and every Friday night. It was about 150 kilometers. So what I carried in the trunk of my car was a bug out bag with bushcraft tools. And the concept was because this is a rural road, I'm likely going to have to be able to walk in one way or another. And I'll guarantee you in a significant injury, uh, sorry, a significant incident, I am walking towards my family. So I built a kit that would allow me in the worst Canadian weather to be able to walk 150 kilometers and be self-sustaining. Now, that kit is not that big. It's not that heavy. It's not Gucci. I don't have all the bells and whistles, but I have enough to keep me alive, keep me fed, keep me watered, keep me safe, and get me from A to B. That needs to be practiced. You need to practice that at all times. So I actually did. I took out the kit and I did a 72-hour walk with it. Now, I didn't do a 150-kilometer walk. Fair enough. Adrenaline will help you with that. But I did about an 80-kilometer walk over three days. And I came back and I assessed it. And I sat down. I actually took a pad and paper out there with me, which is always a good thing for, for putting down your thoughts. And that's what I did. I went through this process and I, and I looked at everything that I had tried, everything that I had with me, was it effective? Did it do what I wanted it to do? Would there be an easier solution? I wish I would have had, or at the end, I had all this other stuff that I didn't use. How do I assess that? So that being said, if you don't practice with whatever kit that you've built, you're setting yourself up for failure because without practice, you're going to end up being somewhere and missing a piece of kit that you would have figured out. And now you're missing it in the actual time when you need it. So that being said, those are just a couple of pointers as we go through this preparedness summary for emergency preparedness 2.0 before the channel is going to move on to some new and interesting content. We're going to stay within the genre of emergency preparedness, but we're going to start looking at a little bit more active, a little bit more of nuanced and some extreme ideas. And I don't mean extreme ideology. I mean, we've talked at length and we're on episode 19 of a lot of the basic stuff. So at some point you have to stop rehashing and stop riding the same horse and move out to new areas. So we're going to start talking about some of these extreme examples, you know, individual survival. What are the tools that you need for that? How do you cross uh, 150 miles of wilderness with five items and things like that. We're also going to branch out into a bit of discussion on ideologically, political ideology and how that fits with emergency preparedness. If you are an individual who adopts individual emergency and household emergency preparedness and you become more resilient and more self-reliant, how does that reflect in your political views? What are you looking for your government to support? And hopefully in the coming Weeks, we hope to start uh, bringing in our first number of guests to the program. Um, some of them will be individuals who work in this industry. Some of them are going to be individuals, clients of mine that I have been able to help along the journey with individual emergency preparedness. And they'll talk about how their mindset and things like that changed. And then I'm just going to start talking to uh, some other veterans out there and how the transition from military to civilian life has added a bit of layer of preparedness. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. 
So again, if you have any comments about this, please drop over to my business site at jeff at preparednesslabs.ca. Visit us at the website, uh, www.preparednesslabs.ca. There is a newsletter sign up down below. Uh, sign up for it. Put your name in there. It's a free email you get from me about once a week. And we are do- starting to do some giveaways as we start to build interest in the channel. And at all times, I do look forward to any suggestions you have or topics within the preparedness industry that you enjoy. We're also going to be starting up uh, and really we're moving into launching the YouTube channel at Preparedness Labs Incorporated on YouTube. Find us. I think there's two subscribers there. I'm one of them. You got to start somewhere, folks. Whatever your dream may be, grab it, launch it and run with it. Thanks again for spending your time here with us at Inside My Canoe Head. And we will see you next week.